So anyway, um, as I was talking about uh, the third expectation of those who trust in the Lord with all thine heart and uh, lean not on their own understanding, who acknowledge the Lord in all their, all their ways. The Bible is very, very clear that those who do so, there is greater potential for those individuals to experience prosperity. Um, not necessarily uh, material prosperity, though that, that could be the case, all right? But definitely uh, eternal prosperity. I mean, that's true of anyone who's trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. There is that, that eternal prosperity. And if you um, look through the book of Proverbs, and this is what I'm trying to bring up, in regards to our spiritual well-being and, and our attitude towards our things, there is a connection. There is a connection between a person's uh, well-being spiritual well-being and their attitude in regards to their possessions or their their wealth or whatever and um, I found at least 12 things 12 principles that Proverbs mentions in regards to one's attitude toward wealth toward uh, prosperity <coughs> and um, this these 12 um, these 12 principles or these 12 rules um, help us in the sense that um, we can learn to bear rule over our substance rather than our substance bearing rule over us. Does that make sense? In other words, if you have a proper right heart attitude towards your stuff, whatever that stuff is, then that stuff's not going to run your life. And we don't want that. And unfortunately, that's what happens with a lot of people. Their stuff is what runs their life. That's what their life is all about. So the first principle we talked about, just as a reminder, was honor God with your wealth. Honor God with your stuff, with your substance. Of course, that fits hand in glove with acknowledging him in all of our ways. We honor the Lord by giving back to him what he's given to us in the first place. We can honor the Lord uh, by our stuff, by our wealth, by, by the stuff that we own. And this is a way that we can show respect to the Lord by simply recognizing where it comes from. It comes from him. And at the same time, understanding that um, you know, he's given it to us to use to serve him, to worship him, and so forth and so on. So we can honor God with our wealth. The second principle, and I think we covered this last week, is remember that wisdom, knowledge, and understanding from the Bible is more, of more value than money. Of more value than money. Uh, I, I um, use the illustration that often money is referred to as a principle. And that principle uh, refers to the original sum of money um, that's been invested or, or, or whatever into, into something. And I quoted Proverbs 4, 7, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. And then Proverbs eleven thirty, The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. We've been entrusted with a great principle of, of great value, and that's the knowledge of how can a person come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and be saved. That's, that's the initial principle that we've been in, entrusted with that we are to invest in the lives of others. 
1 Timothy 1.11 says, According to the glorious gospel of the, of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So we've been entrusted with this principle on how to tell somebody else how to get saved. And that's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, principle that has given to us. And so how are we investing this principle of wisdom in raising our children or on the job before others or even in the church? So that's, that's the second point. Now we're coming to the third point, and then I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our third point. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, as we look at these principles that you have established in your word in regards to our heart attitude and to the things that you've entrusted with us, uh, whether it's money or property, just stuff in general, Lord, we pray that uh, you would help us, Lord, to be able to look at these things as you look at these things, for that is indeed where wisdom resides. Help us, O oh Lord God, to maintain or develop or even exercise a right heart attitude towards these things, Father. And we look to you, who is the giver of all good things. And we thank you and praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all. In his name we pray, amen. So the, the third thing about stuff is remember that righteousness is more important than money. Righteousness is more important than money. Um, what's often true, not with everyone, but it seems like with the majority of wealthy people, whether, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at on the economic scale, uh, even though they may be very wealthy financially, uh, morally, it seems like they're bankrupt. It really does seem like they're bankrupt. It's almost like this wealth that they possess, it just kind of opens a floodgate of all sorts of um, permissible immorality. And that's just, it just seems to be one of the you know, one of the characteristics. Proverbs 28.20 20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. And it just seems like that pursuit of wealth, that pursuit of property, um, it just seems like that uh, it's not done with clean hands very often. I mean, if you watch the old westerns, right? You've always got the land baron out there trying to gobble up everybody else's ranch and they'll do it hook and crook. Well, it's true in real life as well. Um, so often you hear that uh, what Paul wrote about money quoted this way. Money is the root of all evil. Have you ever heard it quoted that way? Is that an accurate quote? No, it's not, is it? No, it's not an accurate quote. But um, it's interesting that if there is any kind of corruption in an organization, if there's any kind of corruption in a political body, uh, generally the rule of thumb is, is follow the money, right? Follow the money because that money will lead you to the uh, corrupting influence, the motive behind what's going on with all of the shenanigans that are taking place. But it's not so much money that is the root of evil, is it? What is, what is it that is the root of all evil, according to Paul? Love. Exactly. It's the love of money. First 
Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So it's the love of money. And that word uh, love... Love of money is an interesting, an interesting term. It's, it's, and again, I only know this because I check my strongs, okay? But uh, it's interesting that that Greek word is a, it's a compound word, philarguria, that means to be a friend of silver. To be a friend of silver. That's what it means. To be a friend of silver. James 4, 3 through 4 says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And it seems like those who are the friends of money are very friendly <laughs> with the world system. So, it is important who you choose as your friends. It is very important who you choose as your friends. Uh, this evil and covetousness and sorrows, they're all opposites of, of the result of living a righteous life. So, living a righteous life is of more value than being a friend of silver. Being a friend of silver. Now, I'm probably not telling you guys anything that you don't already know. But that's just one of the principles that Proverbs points out. Um, okay, now I know that you know the same thing that I know. <laughs> that the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. Right? Romans 3.10. And in fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. When we match our righteousness up with a thrice holy God, yeah, for sure. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. In regards to salvation, yeah, we all fall short to the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. But, being believers uh, in Jesus Christ who have trusted in the atoning work of Christ on the cross, um, we have his righteousness imputed to us, reckoned to our account. Okay? That's a, that's a banking term. The word, that's a banking term. In other words, in our heavenly account, God has imputed Jesus' righteousness upon us. Now that makes us, I was going to say filthy rich, <laughs> but it's not now filthy rich, but that makes us extremely rich. Extremely rich. Knowing that we now have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So we can glory in the Lord because he has imputed his righteousness to us. Christ has died for our sins as the Lamb of God. His precious blood as a lamb without blemish and without spot has been shed for us. 
when we place our faith in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, we now become rich because of the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us, and knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So that's, that's an incredible, incredible um, what, what inheritance or fortune or wealth that we now possess. Something that maybe many of us right now don't fully appreciate. In fact, I know we don't. I know we don't. But if Jim Boyette could come back, I think he would tell you how rich that is. How rich that is. The Apostle Paul refers to this in the Bible as God's work of justification on the behalf of a believing sinner. Turn to Romans chapter 3. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20, I mean, we always hear about verse 23. But you've got to put verse 20, 23 in the context of this passage here. So Romans 3.20, he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is a knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation or a covering through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. To me, that's one of the most powerful passages in the New Testament. Because that tells me that because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, I am now accepted by God. I'm now justified in the eyes of God. That's great wealth, folks. Whether you appreciate it or not, that is great wealth. So, please understand when I refer to living a righteous life, all right, I'm not referring to living uh, I'm not referring to living a, a righteous life to earn salvation you can't do that right that's not possible Jesus has done that he's, he's the one that lived a righteous life but what I'm saying is is to live a righteous life means to live out in a practical sense what is true of us in a spiritual sense we are made righteous in Christ therefore we are to live righteous we are to live righteous. Not for one's salvation, but for one's sanctification. Alright, that's, that's what I'm talking about. We live righteous before God and men because we've been made righteous in Christ. 
That's the topic of Romans chapter 6 through 8. That's what Paul's talking about through Romans 6 through 8, is, is, is living what is real of us. We've been made righteous in Christ, therefore we should live a righteous life. Uh, Romans 6.11 says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin no longer has power over us, unless we allow it. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. It's a choice. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For Verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. You see, we have the advantage over a lost man or a woman. They can't help but sin because that is their nature. But now because we are saved, because we've got the Holy Spirit of, uh, of God in us, the Spirit of Christ in us, we now have been empowered by Him to make a choice. Who are we going to yield to? Who are we going to yield to? Now does this mean that we can live perfectly sinless lives? No. Because we still have that sin nature in, in us. And Paul was very aware of this, of, the, of this sin nature. He called it two laws at work in his life. The law of God and the law of sin. And you can read about that in Romans chapter 7. But Paul knew even though there was the battle of the two laws at odds with each other, Paul also knew he was not left defeated or bereft of help. Why is that? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. That makes you pretty wealthy. Right there. That makes you pretty rich right there. The Spirit of life can give us victory over sin. What are the wages of sin? Death. And what is he called? He's called the spirit of life. So we can walk in newness of life. We now have that ability to do so. Whereas before we did not. Romans chapter 8 verses 2 through 4. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. This is after chapter 7. This is after his describing that struggle. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So when a believer sins, they choose to sin. They choose to sin. Instead of submitting to the Holy Spirit, instead of submitting to, to the Word of God, you know, I get in a stinky attitude, and I choose to whatever. You know, I choose to do whatever. That's true of any of us. Unfortunately, that um, sin is still active. It still desires to be, what is it, the YouTube people, influencer? Right? 
That's what it wants to be. It wants to be an influencer in your life. It still wants to call the shots. It still wants to call the shots. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Because of the Holy Spirit in us, we now can have victory over that influencer in our life that wants us to do contrary to the will of God, who wants us to live an unrighteous life. Is all of this making sense? I mean, this is discipleship one material here, right? You'd be surprised how many people struggle with this. They really do. They struggle with this. So we've been enabled, we've been empowered, you know? We talk about people who feel in, enabled or empowered. Well, we have been. We have been. Yes, ma'am. I have a question. Yes, ma'am. It might be a little involved. <laughs> anyway, so we know Roe v. Wade was overturned on Friday. Of course, everybody's in up in arms about that. I was, my little few minutes I had to sit down yesterday, I spent reading arguments on Facebook back and forth. And I just want you to correct me if I am not saying something. One lady, you know, of course, was saying that um, that it was a woman's right and all that and stuff. And, and then this was all, it seemed like the people that were commenting were all of Christian affiliation, whether they would be saved or not, that's not known. But one lady said that um, that it's a sin and it's going to send you to hell. And, and I get that if you're unsaved, but even if a saved person went and had an abortion, that isn't going to change their salvation. I mean, it seemed like a half-truth. You know, it was a half-truth, yeah. 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 Now why? Yeah, yeah. That's that's that. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 emotions talking. That's not Bible talking. Yeah. If for some whatever is going on in that believer's mind at the time, whatever that woman is listening to, that's giving her this thinking that this is the way out you know that should that's something that you want to address but it's, if 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 the woman who is saved indeed a, a born again believer in Jesus Christ if she does succumb to that she does get an abortion that's not going to she's not going to lose her salvation for that, that i mean she's just not she's she made a terrible decision for whatever reason uh, but that's not going to, you're not going to lose your salvation for that. I, you know, what about believers who fall back into drinking? Or believers who fall back into drugs? Or believers who fall back into, fall into adult, adultery? You know, we're saved because of the grace of God. We're kept because of the grace of God. And uh, for those folks who believe you can lose your salvation, that's their big bugaboo. How can a Christian do that? You know, I always like to ask this person, well, how long have you gone without lying? Or how long have you gone without stealing? And, you know, every time you sin, does that mean you have to, you know, ask Christ to be your Savior all over again? And uh, I tell him that Hebrews tells me that you're just crucifying Jesus Christ afresh. You know, he died once for sin, and you're making him die more than once for sin. And so, you know, it goes on into that. But no, I don't think... I don't think a believer will lose their salvation um, 
because they got an abortion or they fell back in the drink or anything like that because that's not that's not what saves us we're saved by grace it's God's grace that keeps us it's God's grace that saves us does that help does that help okay yes ma'am that's found in Ephesians chapter 2 it is a promise that's a for sure thing yeah yeah, that's a for sure thing. We are sealed onto the day of redemption. In fact, that person needs to read the book of Ephesians. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but no, that's not a, that's 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 interesting because I'm going to address that Roe versus Way here if I get to it. So, but no, that's that's fine. Yeah. So I hope that helped. Okay. Uh, Brian, anything you want to add or you think? Okay. All right. All right. So uh, let me see here. So, influencer. Uh, we've been empowered to God, by God to live a righteous life. All right? And we are to live a righteous life for, for conscience' sake, um, before God and before others. That's what Paul said. He said in Acts 24, 16, And herein do I exercise myself. Don't miss that phrase. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Um, now I emphasize exercise myself because I can remember back in the day uh, there was a, a group of people that taught that all one must do is surrender to the spirits and then they will live an absolutely sinless life. Is that true? Is that true? Um, yes and no. <laughs> Maybe. Um, what these types fail to teach is that uh, the Spirit does give us the power to have victory over sin, but we have our part to play too. We have to exercise our faith, exercise our will, our volition. We must choose to live righteously. We must choose to live righteously. Uh, this teaching teaches that we're like inert lumps malleable in the hands of God and all we have to do is just you know just let God shape us and mold us well God doesn't work that way God wants us to participate he's looking for mature adult believers who will participate with him now somebody's gonna stand up and scream heresy heresy you're well let me give you a couple of verses here all right first Corinthians turn to first Corinthians chapter 9 I know you guys know these verses. And this may not even be an issue to you, but it is an issue with some folks. They believe that they sit there like an inert lump and they expect the Holy Spirit to do all the work. 1 Corinthians 9.24, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run! He doesn't say, so sit down and don't do anything. He says, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as with one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body 
and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or disqualified. So what is that telling me here? Does that mean I just sit there like a lump expecting God to do something? No, it's telling me I need to get up and powered by the Holy Spirit of God in obedience to the Word of God, I need to be a, you know, be a participant in this. Does that make sense? You see that? Turn to Romans chapter 13. Turn to Romans 13. Romans 13, starting in verse 11. Paul writes, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Now who's the, who's, who's the one doing the casting off and the putting on? You and me. Right? He says, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and look what he says here, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. That to me is a thoughtful, active participation in this work of sanctification that God is performing in our lives. Am I wrong? Please tell me if I'm wrong. This teaching that we are to be some sort of inert lump and we expect the Spirit to, to make us holy while we do nothing on our part to me is nothing short of heresy. Now, let's take this out to its logical end. Again, this may not be an issue with you guys, but I've run into this before. These super spiritual types. If you take this to the logical end, if you get at the end of your life and you're a, a moral wreck, who can you blame for that failure? The Holy Spirit, right? Well, the Spirit never... Well, the Spirit never... No! No. You see what I'm... See where that goes? That kind of thinking goes? You get outside of the Word of God and you'll end up in the weeds. You'll end up in the weeds. And that's where these super spiritual types come from. These, these mystics that I call them. It sounds spiritual, but it's not biblical. So be careful of that kind of stuff. That's a little soapbox. I apologize. You may, you may or may not run into somebody who thinks that way. But it used to be a very popular teaching. In spite of what the world, worldly wisdom says, living righteously in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation is the best way to live. It's not always the easiest way. It is the most demanding way in some, in some situations, but it is the best, best way. Sadly, for the sake of personal gain, many have choose, choose to live unrighteous lives. Even believers, in order to get ahead, they'll live an unrighteous life, they'll do unrighteous things. They'll involve themselves with unrighteous situations or even people, in order to get ahead. 
And whether it's the wicked or the saved, they always end up in the same place. Not a very good place. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 2 says, Treasures of wickedness profit nothing. That's pretty clear. But righteousness delivereth from death. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. So living a righteous life is really the best life to live. I mean, for a, for a little while, things may seem to go well for the wicked. Or for the carnal believer. They may seem to be getting ahead. They may seem to be filling their coffers. But in the end, in the end, uh, it, the Word of God, unless the Word of God is a lie, in the end, it's just not going to wash out for them. It just isn't. As far as delivereth from death, you know, the righteous are delivereth from death. We live in a broken world. We know that um, there have been times that the righteous have uh, suffered persecution, that the righteous have even been slain simply because they are righteous and they are standing up for righteousness in, a, in, in the face of wickedness. And the wicked hate that. The, the wicked hate the righteous. Proverbs 29:27 says, An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. And so the wicked will try to shut down the righteous. And uh, they will use death to do so. But this death is temporal. It's temporal. It's the second death. It's that eternal death that uh, the wicked are going to face. But as far as the righteous are concerned, what are they face? What are they facing? Everlasting life. Eternal life. Alright, so, uh, so the death, you know, so they're delivered from, from, that first, from that second death. Proverbs 29, 27 says an unjust, I already read that. Proverbs 10, 16 says the labor of the righteous tendeth to life. And the fruit of the wicked to sin. The fruit of the wicked to sin. What is the wages of sin? Death. Death. But the labor of the righteous tendeth to life. Um, Matthew Henry wrote, The things of this world are good or evil, life or death, as they are used, and as those that have them. In other words, the things and possessions, the money, the property of this world in and of itself, they're neither good nor, nor bad. You know, they're neither good nor bad. Um, I won't use that example. I'm not going to use that example. It's the hard attitude of those who possess those things that make it good or bad. It's the hard attitude of those who possess those things, how they utilize their resources, whether for the good or for the bad of others. That's what makes those things. In this country, there is a big debate on the ownership of a particular item. As though that item were the problem. The item isn't the problem, it's the hearts of the people that get a hold of those items and misuse them for, for evil, for destruction, for wickedness. This country's not addressing the real issue. It's not the item in the hand of the person, it's the heart of the person. And we, we dumped that a long time ago when we take prayer and the Bible out of the schools and we indoctrinate our children with all of this 
stuff. That's another soapbox. But it's true. They won't admit it, but it's true. Then you've got some folks, you know, again, talking about possessions and the hard attitude, you've got some folks that, you know, they're, they're all about the latest toys and the gadgets and they'll feed their habits and they'll have a good time. They'll make sure that they're not lacking in anything, but these guys or even these gals will do this at the expense of their own children. As long as I got what I got, you know, They'll do it at the expense of their children, their wives, not even providing the necessities of food, shelter, and clothing, but boy, they got that big fancy truck or they got that bottle they can drink. You see what I'm saying here? It's the hard attitude about these things. It's the hard attitude about these things. Some use their resources for the good of others to promote life rather than death, to meet the needs of others. That's honoring God with your substance. Instead of serving self. The labor of the righteous is all about life, while the labor of the wicked is all about death. All about death. Proverbs 28.6 6 says, Better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. You know, a poor, righteous man in the eyes of God is far better off than a wealthy man who is, who is uh, perverse in his ways. Now when you think of the word perverse, what do you think of? Sexual stuff. Yeah, sexual stuff. But in the Bible, that's not what the word perverse necessarily means. The word perverse refers to somebody whose perspective or thinking has been twisted from what is righteous into what is wicked. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That's perverse. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. That's biblical perver perversion right there. Is when you take wrong and say no that's right. And when you take right and claim no that's wrong. Do we not see that going on today? Sure we do. We live in a perverse nation. You mentioned Roe versus Wade. Recently our Supreme Court made a decision to overturn Roe versus Wade and what do we see going on? Rage. Yeah, we see rage. We also see rejoicing. We see uh, rejoicing for those who have fought so hard to preserve the lives of the unborn because they value life. They value life and so they've been working so hard and so diligently to to come to this point. But then you have those who are angry because they perceive that they no longer have the right to do whatever they want with their own bodies. That's not true. 
but in their minds that they've been twisted by the educational system and the political system and everything else where wrong is now right and right is now wrong they want their right even if it means the death of another human being developing in their womb they don't even consider that in fact they don't even consider a, 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 being a human being and in some places they'll even even at the point of birth it's still okay to destroy that child that's perverse I'm sorry that is it's perverse it doesn't follow the science it doesn't follow common sense it doesn't follow morality it doesn't follow anything it's perverse it's twisted but to hear some of these arguments they're very clever well thought out arguments but they're perverse they're perverse so anyway um, wealth does not make the person it is character that defines a person it's character that defines a person there's nothing wrong with being a wealthy person absolutely nothing Abraham was a wealthy man so was Lot but look at the hard attitude of these men right you know the old this old world loves a prodigal they love a prodigal that spends all their wealth on them to provide them the pleasures in life that they're seeking after they love a prodigal I'll probably get in trouble they'll flock around the Jeffrey Epstein's of this world until the Jeffreys get caught and get in trouble and then this whole world will break their necks or the necks of the Jeffreys to distance themselves from them have you ever noticed that that's that's wickedness that's that good is now evil and evil is now good it's that perversion it's perversion in the eyes of God a poor man who walks with integrity is of more value than this kind of wealthy person irregardless of where you are on your economic uh, social level Proverbs 13 21 says evil pursueth sinners but to the righteous good shall be repaid God will recompense to the righteous what the wicked sought to take from them if that were not true it wouldn't be in this Bible now it may not be in this life may not always happen but I guarantee in the next it will 1 Timothy 5 24 through 25 said some men's sins are open beforehand going before to judgment and some men they follow after likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand and they that are otherwise cannot be hid you know I was in a situation where due to the wickedness of another person um, I had a certain amount of money that should rightly have come to me because of, uh, of an injury I incurred but because of this person uh, messing with the record and the account uh, the money that was going to help me to recuperate and to, to get better was never 
never given. Well, a couple of years later, this injury, this original injury, um, you know, got um, aggravated again. I had to go through a second surgery, and so uh, this person was out of the scene. It was another person. And so um, they wrote the report. I went before the judge, and the judge lo was looking at both reports, the old case and the new case, and he looked at the representative and he said, why wasn't this man recompensed with the first injury? Blah, 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 you know, it sounded like a motorboat. He really didn't have a good explanation. Well, what did the judge do? He not only recompensed me for the second injury, but he also recompensed me for the first. That doesn't happen all the time here on this earth. But it will happen in heaven. God will say, um, you know, JB, I saw where such and such did this to you. I saw that. And I saw your response. And it was a godly, a good, a good godly response. And you'll be commended for things like that. I believe that's true. I believe that's true. Jeff, does that kind of fall into the I, you know, you know, we we talk about the crowns and stuff, and yeah, we focus on the crowns. But you know what? Yeah, heaven is, and God is super generous, and I think He's just going to lavish on His people way beyond. I mean, for crying out loud, if if Jerusalem is paved in gold, I mean that's paving stones. I can't imagine the the, you know the the. And, and, yeah, and that's another thing, James, if you stop and think about it, you know, when, when we think of wealth here on earth, I think we have a very limited perspective on what wealth is and all that kind of stuff. I think once we are free from these sinful bodies and we're in these glorified bodies, I think that's when the real definition of wealth is going to hit home. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I'm limited in my vocabulary. It's like what Paul said when he went up into paradise. He saw things that... You know, he couldn't find words to describe. Well, one of these days, we're going to see what Paul saw. Perhaps today. Perhaps today. Are you ready? <laughs> God will honor those who seek uprightness in the issues of life. And that also includes our stewardship of our stuff, our money and property how we deal with our fellow men. Uh, Proverbs, uh, 2 Corinthians 8.21 says, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. You know, honesty is still the best policy. I don't care what this wicked world says, it really is. You know, a way we can honor the Lord and acknowledge Him in all our ways is... is a righteous stewardship of those possessions that he has entrusted to us. A righteous stewardship. Instead of becoming a friend of money, we focus on being a friend of God. Does that make sense? We focus on becoming a friend of God. Some 16 times the upright is mentioned in Proverbs, and with every mention of the upright, it is associated with blessing. 
With every mention of the upright in Proverbs, a blessing is associated with those folks who are upright. Contrary to that, the wicked who are used in contrast to the upright, in every reference, <laughs> not so good. Not so good. See, the wicked think they're getting away with it. Proverbs 14.11 says, The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. I love this book. And when you pay attention to it, there's just some things that just, I don't know, to me it just knocks my socks off. I don't know how many pairs of socks I go through. But notice what it says here. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown. When you think of a house, what do you think of? Uh, yeah, a home. A, a permanent structure or dwelling on earth. Right? Now this tells me that's, that's, what, that's the only thing the wicked is interested in. The here and now. Building the house here and now. Well, one of the days that house is going to pass away. Uh, Turn to Psalm 17 real quick. I've got a few minutes. I've got to hurry up. Psalm 17. This is the point I want to make. As far as the house of the wicked shall be overthrown. Psalm 17, starting in verse 8, he says, Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From the wicked that oppress me, from deadly enemies who compass me about. Psalm 17, verse 10. They are enclosed in their own fat. With their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth. So that's their focus. Like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places, they have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth twice. Now he says this. Like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, as it were a young lion lurking in secret places, he says, Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword, from men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world. Look what it says here. Which have their portion in this life. And whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure, they are full of children, and leave the rest of their substance to their babes. This is all they are focused on. And sadly, this is all they're going to get. Their house will come, coming, come, come down. I mean, we see this all the time. We see great men and women building these huge monuments to themselves. You know, these big buildings, these big businesses, these big houses. Only to have another great person come along behind them and tear them down and build their own monument to themselves. The tabernacle of the upright shall flourish. When you think of a tabernacle, what do you think of? A tent. A temporary dwelling. Right? A temporary dwelling. The tabernacle of the upright. Why is that? Because the upright don't have their eyes focused on the here and now. They're focused on God. They're focused on eternity. 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 
For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so, that, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. You see, this is a temporary dwelling place. Right? Our time on earth is short. The wicked invest all their time on the earth with no concern for eternity. The righteous invest in eternity. And so they have an everlasting home to look forward to. A home that will never be bulldozed. Having possessions or not having possessions is not the issue of life that we need to guard our hearts about. The, the, the issue that we need to guard our hearts about is, is, is maintaining our integrity while being stewards of these possessions. Being upright for conscience sake. For living a righteous life uh, with those things that God has blessed us with. And using those things to, pr to promote life rather than death. Proverbs 10.24 says, The fear of the wicked it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. As the whirlwind passes, so is the wicked no more, but the righteous is an everlasting foundation. Don't miss that word foundation. Who is our foundation? Jesus Christ. Remember the parable of the, of the two house builders, one built on the sand and one built on the rock? What are you building your house on? Our foundation is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You know, the financial gurus are always talking about, well, the smart money is to invest in this, and the smart money is to invest in that. Let me end with this. The wisest investment, the smart money, is to live a life invested in a righteous life before God and men. Building your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That has eternal dividends. So righteousness is of more value than money. The righteousness imputed to us by Jesus Christ and the righteousness that we live because Christ lives in us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Kenley, can I ask you to close this out in prayer? Dear Lord, thank you.